Welcome to the Automotive Leaders Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future by sharing stories, insights, and skills from leading voices in the automotive world with a mission to transform this industry together. I'm your host, Jan Griffiths, that passionate, rebellious farmer's daughter from Wales with over 35 years of experience in our beloved auto industry and a commitment to empowering fellow leaders to be their best authentic selves. Stay true to yourself. Be you and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership. Let's dive in. It's April 2020, and it's springtime. I hear birds chirping in the background. The sun comes out from time to time, and I see little green shoots coming up in the garden. Signs of life. Time to feel alive. Although... It's hard to feel that way, isn't it? Because we are right in the middle of the pandemic. We are leading our lives, ourselves, our teams, our business, maybe even our industry through this crisis, the coronavirus crisis. And last week, we went straight to that elite group of warriors for insight and guidance on leading through this crisis. Because we are very much in a wartime scenario. The enemy is unseen and somewhat unknown and certainly uncertain. And we went straight to Nick Norris, a Navy SEAL, to give us his insights and guidance on what it's like to lead and live in that kind of environment. This week, I want to stay with the war theme, but switch it to a different, completely different perspective. There are casualties to a war, and we can learn so much from them. Today, you're going to meet Mira Griffiths. No relation. I know she sounds like she might be. Mira and her husband run a company called The Mind Takeaway, based in Berlin in Germany. We share a common bond and a mission to develop authentic leaders for the future. Mira grew up in the time of civil war in a country previously known as Yugoslavia. She and her family had to flee the city she was born in and leave everything to be destroyed during the war. She was indeed a refugee. She has since lived and worked in Serbia, the UAE, and Germany. And her work has always been related to helping people overcome the consequences of physical and psychological trauma, loss and pain in their life, and helping them understand who they are and how that experience is created and brings back authenticity, this feeling of being alive, of courage, of creativity, and of joy back into their lives. Mira is more than qualified to speak to us on this issue of authentic leadership after going through something so traumatic, not only because of her experience as a refugee, but because of what she's done since then. Mira has a BSc in physiotherapy, an advanced diploma in hypnotherapy, counseling and psychology, a diploma in CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, 
and also has completed her NLP master's, which is neuro-linguistic programming. She's a certified NLP and certified clarity coach. She also studied emotions and human behavior through the Paul Ekman International Institute. So she's more than qualified to help us understand what's happening here in our lives and how do we make this the most authentic, yes, challenging and exhilarating leadership experience of our lives. Mira is the co-founder of The Mind Takeaway, a company that she runs with her husband, Peter Griffiths. They are committed to developing more compassionate and authentic leaders who are able to meet the complex needs of the ever-changing environments we live and work in. And you can find more about The Mind Takeaway in the show notes. So please, welcome Mira Griffiths. Thank you, and thank you very much for having me. It is great to have you here. And as I said in the intro, today I really want our listeners to learn from you, from the other side of war, the refugee. So, Mira, what's your story? Well, when I was 12, war started back home. But, you know, what can be learned from it is that nobody knew that it is going to happen. Nobody believed that, you know, your neighbors will suddenly become your enemies. And uh, nobody believed that they will lose their homes and had to have to move. And lots of people went in different countries. Some people never, like, for example, my father never went back to see uh, where he lived before the war. And what I've learned is that anything, anything can happen anytime. We learn, we live in uncertainty all the time. I mean, we call this situation, and you know, big uncertainty and what's going to happen with economy and with companies and with our own health, with our families. But we are not more or less certain right now than we were before it happened. For me, life is one big uncertainty and it took me time to understand that, to s- stop controlling the future and actually be more in the present, be more myself, and in that way navigate what is happening right now much better, uh, with much more confidence that I can deal with everything that happens. Not just me, but every other human in, in, in this, on this planet. We are built to survive. Can you... Uh, tell us a little bit about this. I mean, it's it's shocking to hear that your neighbor mm. becomes your enemy. And to a certain extent, everybody seems like the enemy today in the pandemic because we're we're terrified, <laughs> right? To interact with another human being Absolutely. in case we 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 get the virus. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what what that must have felt like. And if you could just give us some background uh, to what was happening in Yugoslavia at the time. Okay, so uh, what happened then is that for many, many, many generations, uh, Serbs and Croatians lived in in Croatia. I'm, I'm 
in Yugoslavia, in Croatia, Yugoslavia had six republics at the time, and each republic had a different name, but basically they were all under one federation and had one, one president. Uh, what happened is that some countries decided to split, some politicians uh, of the republics, individual republics decided to split. And uh, what they did is they created lots of fear amongst the people. They started creating separation between the people. Uh, they started, you know, stories were coming out that, you know, your neighbor is Croatian or your neighbor is Serbian, if, you know, opposite from what you, what you are uh, by, by background, by history, not even a nationality. And, um, and then they were, you know, once you create a separation between people, you, you start telling them that the other one wants to kill them or is trying to find an opportunity to do that. Then people start feeling very insecure, very scared. They stop believing what they actually know they stop believing that those people are their friends and they are connected much more than even relatives because you know who's going to help you more than your first door neighbor when you need it uh, and they they you forget you know they forget what they knew to be true and because of fear they um, they made stupid decisions they they actually started war. People really, really... I mean, I've heard stories that I can't even believe they're true, but, you know, they are. That their mother left her children because the father was from a different nationality. It's unbelievable. Oh, that's... Uh, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. How, with this fear, how does that... I mean, your your basic existence is being threatened, right? When you when you when you're talking about war, and I think there's there's a lot of that going on right now, right? People's very basic existence is being threatened. People are losing their job. They're concerned about food. They're concerned about toilet paper. You know, we know that's a sort of that's a thing right now. Um, but that that fear, how did that play out? Did you see a lot of that sort of hoarding ment mentality at the time? Well, not at the time, because I think what was happening then is that you had to um, you had to leave, you had to survive. So I remember that my mother didn't even take photos; she just grabbed, you know, some valuables that were at home and and her bank card and, and we left. We we only had one little suitcase of summer clothes because we just believed we were going to be back home very quickly. Uh, so, um, yeah, you just really are surviving in that moment. But what I've noticed is that people who were using the situation, there were people who were using the situation that they were going back afterwards if they could and, and they were stealing. So that's probably because they feared for their future and they needed to accumulate whatever uh, was there for them. They didn't think about others. They only thought about themselves and their own gain. And, and there is also another thing. If you don't have really good connections with people, 
you don't believe that anybody will ever help you. Like if you didn't have food, you don't believe that somebody would give you food if you need it, which is actually in reality not the case. Everybody like to help others. I mean, you know, th there are probably few people that want, but in, in, you know, in majority people are actually really generous. So if somebody came to you right now and asked for some food or a toilet paper or, or some coffee, even in, in best of times, you would be, yes, of course, no problems. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, we see that playing out right now, right? We see, we see the fear and we see the need to protect oneself. You know, you see people fighting over toilet paper. You see it in the social media, right? So there's this need to, to, as you say, accumulate to protect your own interest. But there is also this human nature part of it that we will give and help others. But we tend to think that, that that's not going to happen. <clears throat> I don't think we're to that situation quite yet, but I can see some of that behavior starting to play out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what... What have you learned? You know, we talk a lot about mindset mm -hmm. and coming through what you went through because you lost everything, correct? You, you, did, you were never able to go back. No, we went back. Uh, everything was destroyed uh, during the war house. We had weekend house, another house that my, my parents just built and we lived in the apartment in the it's a little town in the central Croatia. And... Uh, Everything was destroyed during the war. What wasn't destroyed because of war, it was destroyed later on by people who were angry, who stayed over there. And um, so first time I went there, so war was 91, it, uh, 1991 when I left. First time I went there was uh, 2008. My father never went back. My mom went... Mom, actually, my mom went there during the war to see her parents that were dying in the hospital. So um, she, she was actually, and, and I don't, I, even now I ask her, like, mom, how did you do it? There were bombs going all over the place and you went there. And she said, I don't know. I just did it. You know, there was no fear. She said, yeah, I just thought I had to go. I had to see them and I'm going. Yeah, that's, that's drive and determination. Yeah. Yeah. So coming through that, having lost everything, you said you had a suitcase and, you know, some cards and some money and that was mm -hmm. it and a few memoirs of, of your life, but that was, that was it. So having lost everything and having to rebuild again, how, how on earth do you come through a process? Do you come through an, a life experience like that? You just do. And it's really interesting. As I said earlier, we're built for survival, physically and mentally. We just don't know that. And, and we are scared that we won't be able to deal with situations. But when actual situation happens, we, we deal with that. I mean, we, we have many examples of that in our lives. Not this one, not big one, not war. But there's so many situations in our lives where we where we dealt with whatever was there in front of us that we didn't expect, didn't want, but it happened. And uh, you just do. 
it's, it's really interesting that human mind has an extreme potential to make sense of things, to create, to invent. I mean, I, I was just looking recently, there, there was a group of uh, young guys in Italy who created respiratory masks out of scuba diving masks, and they made parts just... Um, just with a 3D printer and it worked and they gave it uh, for free uh, to for everyone to use if they needed any hospital anybody who can do it so necessity is mother of invention I think we we just do that I remember my parents were doing things that they never taught doing in order to survive um, we lived in houses that we could never imagine living before that and we survived and what's really interesting and what i used to be scared even later on when it all passed and i you know even you go through that experience and you sometimes forget how resilient you actually are and then you start fearing you know what if i lose all the money and i end up being on the street and not because this is going to happen, but because I don't think I would be able to deal with that. You know, we think that is going to break us mentally and physically, and we won't be able to climb up again, to rise up again. But my experience is showing something totally different. You know, we were without anything. We, we lost everything. We, we lived as refugees for a few years. And, and you do, it doesn't break you. It doesn't break you at all. It just really makes you stronger. At what point did you switch from feeling a victim? If you ever did, I, I would, I would have to believe that you would, you would, you would have to feel like a victim at some point, but what, what happened that changed your mindset and your view and you said okay you know this has happened to me this is awful but you know I am onward and upward and this is where I'm going and your mindset changed well what was that process like well it wasn't easy uh, feeling a victim it's quite destruct uh, self-destructive and uh, I went through a period that it was it was quite painful it was when, when my dad passed away because it seemed like because he was alive i could survive anything because he was a strong father figure and a really strong leader and somebody that you trust not just me but many people around and uh, and when he passed away i felt that i lost that strength and this is the period where i was very scared and what happened over a period of few years i in order to survive i had to become very authentic i had to become myself i had to stop i had to i had to learn who i am basically and once i did that i regained confidence in my ability to thrive and deal with problems. I create, I mean, my, my life relationships in my life, bonds and connections with people around me have become much, much stronger. Um, 
So I kind of know if it ever happened that, you know, I need to run or if I lost everything. I know I have friends who will allow me to crash in their couch and they will not ask questions because I know that I would do the same for them. Um, I, and I've developed a really strong connection with, with my wisdom. I'm, help me understand this. Um, Mm-hmm. When you say that you had to become more authentic, what that implies there was a change. So where, what was your mindset or where were you thinking or where were you at before then? I, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense for this, this, this transformation or transition into being more authentic. Mm. Because of the trauma of the war and... I guess being a refugee and feeling different than others. And I I don't think it's just because I was a refugee. Many other people feel that they need to, uh, they need to blend in. They need to become like others. They need to, uh, you know, we are very seldomly encouraged to behave like ourselves. We go to school to teach us to behave like others. So, um, I mean, all our life is, is that kind of school. So I was, because I was so insecure at the time, I was, I was trying to be like somebody else. I was trying to be like that person that is really confident over there. I was trying to be, uh, you know, behave like somebody who is very strong. I was trying to uh, change the way I looked. So uh, I was try- so it was so much stress trying to be somebody else that <clears throat> excuse me, that my I even developed IBS at the time. I, I couldn't. You spend so much energy trying to be somebody else that you cannot focus, you cannot see your, hear your wisdom, you cannot see direction in which you want to go in life. You, you do stupid things, you make decisions that hurt people around you, you, you disconnect from people that you love. Because all your energy is focused on how you're not good enough and you're trying to be like somebody else. That's a, that's a great explanation. And thank you for that. And as we, as you and I both know, as we talk to people in the corporate world, there are many leaders out there today who are trying to fit a corporate mold or have this perception of who they think they should be and how they think they should lead through this crisis. And you and I have had many conversations about why being authentic, being that authentic person in yourself and being an authentic leader is so important right now, whether you're leading yourself, your team, your company, or your industry through this pandemic. Um, So let's, let's expand on that thought. Why do you think people who are more authentic, leaders who are more authentic, will have an easier time uh, transitioning into leadership during this time of crisis? Hmm. 
because with with authenticity it's not just you're being yourself but you're comfortable being yourself i think that's the whole angle of it you're not learning who you are you probably already very well know who you are you may be scared that you're not good enough that's another thing but um, because you're comfortable being who you are you're comfortable with people around you you're comfortable allowing them to be themselves and you create really strong bonds and connections with people so when something like this for example happens you have people that will uh, hold your back you have people that will support your idea even though it could be totally crazy you have people who will agree to do things that may be for may even look that they are not for their personal gain right now they're they're they are willing to hold on and for example i don't know maybe they will uh, decide to not take salary from the company for a few months because they think that they're okay for a few months and you know they need they have enough survival money in order for a company to grow or for a company to in this situation not go under so people are willing to do things for you and for your company for example or if you're a manager or whatever situation is that may not be for their direct benefit but will will save many more people in the long run other thing is that when you're authentic you're not wasting time listening to all those voices in your head head telling you oh, you should be doing this or you're not good enough or look at that person or my god what's going to happen tomorrow you'll not be able to survive you are able to be present and hear your wisdom and sometimes your wisdom can tell you things that maybe don't really make sense right now but are um but can be life-saving, can be life-saving. And you're probably, if you are already authentic, you're probably more likely to already have a company who is dealing with the situation much better than others. Um, creativity and innovation, you know. I, I cannot be busier right now. I, I heard people saying that they're bored, that they have nothing to do. Yes, I'm not creating new programs or not, not, you know, there's no new clients at the moment. But I have so many other things to do that I was, that I get ideas for right now because my brain is operating on a very different level. I'm not sitting being scared at home. I'm sitting and thinking, what can I do? And because the the rules are changed, you know the, the the oh yeah, the daily rules, our routines are changed, and whilst that's a bit shocking in the beginning, and we go through this sort of grief cycle that we've we've talked about, but it's also a tremendous opportunity to say, okay, now the rules are different, so this is an opportunity for creativity to come forward and to make some change. 
I had a client the other day that talked about the fact that the company culture was not to have the cameras on. So for a video conference like this, cameras are off all the time. It was just part of the culture. So as we talked, I said, you know, this is use the crisis, use the pandemic as the opportunity to change that, to change the culture, to turn those cameras on, because you need those cameras on right now to have that, that human connection and interaction. It's just a small example, but there are so many things right now that we can challenge the way things were done in the past to make it better for the future. You have to, first of all, get your head in the right place and your mindset in the right place and really, truly embrace that. So what advice would you have for somebody who perhaps is just coming out of feeling a bit of a victim in this whole situation and just starting to see the opportunity that's in front of them as a leader? Not to go for it. The only thing that it's stopping us ever, I mean, in, in everything that we do is, is our own belief that we can't. And this is, this is, this is what I learned in, in, you know, changing from the victim mindset to, you know, I, I actually have control of this. I'm not a victim. Was when I realized that I was holding myself victim. That was the situation. Situation doesn't make you better or a worse person. Situation is just another opportunity to learn something new. And it was it was the it was that realization that that you're not better or worse because because something had happened to you or because at the moment you've made a mistake. It's an opportunity to learn. And, and what was holding me in that prison was myself. It was my own thinking, nothing else. So everything that is holding anyone back right now is the belief that they can't do anything about it. And you're here from a far, far more severe situation. You actually came through war and lost everything. And you're, you know, living, breathing example of somebody who can change that mindset mm -hmm. and transition into a, a, a great life, a great career. And, and now let's, let's talk a little bit about the mind takeaway, because not only did you change your mindset and come through all of that and transform yourself, and as you say, you are very authentic, and I've known you for a year now, and I know that to be true, but you've also committed yourself all the, the training that you, you have, the qualifications that you have, to help other people. So mm. tell us more about your personal mission and how you're doing that mm. yeah it's interesting I, I used to think about it a lot and why did I make those decisions why did I went from physiotherapy to to dealing with mind and understanding humans and and I remember it was I think it was I was 13 14 years old when I decided that I want to be a physiotherapist and it was because I wanted to help people uh, stop feeling pain it was it was a time of lots of pain then and and yeah that was the and I think that there is a lot a lot of pain in 
in trying to be somebody else. But the other side of it is the reason why, why I do what I do right now is, and why I work with leaders is because leaders are very influential. They are in a position of influence and, and changing people's lives. You don't need to be a therapist in order to change somebody's life. My life has been influenced by people that were in my life, that were my bosses, in a positive or in a negative way. So we can always ask ourselves, how do you, how do you want to influence other people? How do you want to help them grow or you want to uh, help them become smaller than, they, than what they are? And, and I realized that working with leaders is helping me influence much more people that I could do just working one-on-one. And, and this is why, I mean, I've, I've been a leader myself. I've been in management roles and I was, uh, I was even running a rehab center. But it, it's not that, that, that's not the reason why I'm working with leaders now. The reason why I'm doing that is because it just makes sense. We are in this way helping much more people making better decisions. I mean, my ultimate goal is a, is a world with no war. And I think if we had leaders that understood that we really don't need wars, that we can all live together without it, uh, that would be my dream come true. But until it, it happens, I'm going to do it one by one. Well, it seems that you're certainly, you know, you're well on your way to making that happen. Let's talk about fear. The mm-hmm. fear that some leaders are feeling right now, leading through this crisis. We see a tendency for people to move into command and control mode. And last week, we had Nick Norris on, Navy SEAL, trained in combat, talking about the significance and the importance of decentralized command the art of delegation, pushing the decision-making down to the person on the front line who's trained and has the expertise to execute. Leaders are coming from a position of fear. They, they, they don't want to trust and, and let go. What's your thought on that? Yeah, many leaders do. Uh, and I, I think the reason for it is that they are they're scared that they're scared of letting go of control and we know that we are controlling because we want to we want to be safe we want to feel safe so there's the the, the bottom where, where all that comes from is is fear so you know from fear we we do stuff that there's no common sense you know we shout at people we um we control them we we even start wars because of it because our own personal fear it is is very common that a person is trying to control their environment they're trying to control people around them because they're scared that they won't be able to deal with the situation uh, that they they haven't envisaged so 
it's very I don't think that people who are doing it are actually making any sense out of it. They don't know why they're doing it. They will create some story in their mind that this makes sense and they should do that just because they're doing it. However, it all comes to it all comes to their own personal insecurity. Yeah, and I think there's this fear of looking weak, right? People don't want they don't want to look weak or appear weak. So they, they, this is this is the time to be the tough guy. When in actuality, this is the time to connect at a more emotional level. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, fear and and you know micromanagement and not trusting people, not having that connection between them, is is just breaking everything apart. You know, there is even, going back to that, uh, we even know the emotion of love and connection is helping our cells to grow in our body. And the emotion of fear is very destructive. So even that, even if you go on a cellular, cellular level of human body, this is what's happening. So, you know, your company, uh, your organization is, is an organism. It's a living organism that it's based on connection between people. You cannot do everything on your own. And, and what comes from fear is the idea that we have, that we know everything or that we have to appear that we know everything is what you alluded over there a little bit. And then we make mistakes. It's, a, it's much worse to pretend that you know something and act as, the, as if that's true and make big, big mistakes and not listen to people around you, what they're telling you. Then say, I don't know who else maybe knows better than, than I do. And then you make a decision what to do. And that's actually, that connects you with the people around you. People start trusting you because they can see what's going on. They're not stupid. And, um, and it also helps they get engaged. You know, you've got so many amazing ideas of what's possible right now from, you know, even if you work with two people. I mean, even us. A few days ago, we just connected and had a chat and we had some great ideas of what's possible. Just that. Yeah, that's so true. But people have to open their minds to it and be receptive yeah. to it and encourage it and show some level of vulnerability. And this can be, I've said it many times before, this can be the most challenging yet the most rewarding and exhilarating leadership experience that we will ever go through in our entire lives, whether it's at a personal level, whether you're leading a team or a business or even an industry, this is a great opportunity to step up. To your point earlier, this is the time to embrace your authentic self, your true authentic self. This is the time to do it. It's now. Yeah, because today, everything that you knew is gone. 
Yes. All processes, all everything that, that you used to do in your daily job as a leader is gone. You're operating on a very different level. And if you want to grow from this, if you want to learn from this, if you want to, if you want to survive this, you need to adapt. And staying and trying forcefully to do whatever you did before is going to go down the rabbit hole because it's a very different circumstance and, and you cannot do the same thing that you did before. It's impossible. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Well, I think that certainly I have learned a lot from you today. You are an inspiration to many and I hope that our audience will feel the same way and will see this as an opportunity to embrace their authenticity and step up and lead like never before. And with that, Mira Griffiths, thank you very much. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for listening to the Automotive Leaders Podcast. Click the listen link in the show notes to subscribe for free on your platform of choice. And don't forget to download the 21 Traits of Authentic Leadership PDF by clicking on the link below. And remember, stay true to yourself, be you, and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership.